Psalm 42. Thanks so much, choir, for ministering to us tonight with your gifts of music. We're thankful for you. Psalms 42 and 43. These psalms likely are meant to be taken together. There is no heading above Psalm 43, which is unique in Book 2 of the Psalms. And thus, most, most students of the Bible believe that these are to be taken together, plus the fact that they have the same refrain. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why so disturbed within me? So we'll read these two together as we gather around the table this evening. A meditation for us to help us remember Christ and God's love for us. Psalm 42, for the director of music, a Amaskil of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving. Among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. We are a nation that is more and more dying of despair. 
speaking with uh, my father this past week. He's a pastor, and uh, I think he said that there were about 10 or so situations to which he's connected through his ministry or friendship, knowing others in the ministry, connected to some measure uh, suicide, whether it was suicide that had been finished or attempted or people who had become suicidal. And this has been confounding sociologists, anthropologists, statisticians for a couple of years now, that we are a country that, that more and more uh, we've seen this spike in these kinds of deaths, not only what I mentioned previously, but also accidental deaths that uh, touch on overdoses from substance abuse and the like. And one of the things, one of the common threads that seems to be in a lot of these situations is that we are a people who, are, who is becoming more and more lonely. Um, it's up to 25%, I think, of people who are polled who said that they have zero people in their life, zero, not one, with whom they feel they can uh, go to or lean on or share suffering with. Someone who will come alongside them and share the burden of the grief. One out of every four people say that there are zero people in their life uh, that fit that kind of a description. The people of God are meant to be obviously much different than that. We are to be a comfort and a shelter and a refuge for each other. We are to, in, in some ways, exude that that is what we are as the community of the people of God who who come alongside each other in our despair. But more than that, deeper than that, that the biblical worldview provides an answer that anywhere else in the world you, you do not have when it comes to despair. Everyone is going to have times where they are filled with despair, even though we live in an age where people are, are more and more able to, to come closer to their dreams and order their life the way that they want, somehow, some way, at some point, you're going to hit rock bottom. And, and one of the things that people who, who study these kinds of situations are finding is that we're becoming less and less able to deal with those moments when we see all of a sudden that this world, this life that we dreamed about is now completely out of reach, it's now gone, and the question becomes, is life worth living anymore? So as a church, we need to be several things. We need to stand against these trends in our world. We can do so by being an outpost of the kingdom of God, a refuge for the weary, a bedrock of truth, a hospital for sick souls, a, a school for the confused, and much more than that. We can also, and we must also be, uh, a community that shows that it is, it is God through Christ who, who frees us from the despair that so many cannot escape. That God frees us from the despair from which so many cannot escape. And he comes and, and he walks with us through our lowest times. He, he holds our hand. He comforts us. And he gives us an answer. One of the things we see in Psalm 42 and 43 is that God enters the conversation. And in any other worldview, in any other answer to the problems of this life, there will not be one who comes and enters the conversation the way the God of Scripture does. That's one of the big turns from Psalm 42 to 43. God enters the conversation. 
And that is what, uh, that is what a Bible-believing Christian is to know and to take great comfort in. So, just a couple of ideas this evening. First, you were made to be filled with joy in the presence of God. You were made to be filled with joy in the presence of God. Secondly, our hope in the future shapes uh, our life in the present. Our hope in the future shapes our life in the present. And lastly, Christ brings us into the very presence of God for our eternal joy. So first, you were made to be filled with joy in the presence of God. It's uh, likely that, that David had a hand in writing and penning this psalm. It says it comes to us from the, psalms, uh, or from the sons of Korah. Uh, David knew many of the sons of Korah. It's possible that perhaps this was uh, written together. But many scholars believe that, uh, conservative scholars anyways, who believe this, that the Bible is the word of God, believe that David has greatly influenced this psalm and that it reflects in some ways his own experience. Because the psalmist in Psalm 42 and in 43, but 42 especially, is reflecting the experience of being in the wilderness, of being uh, sort of banished from the people of God and the, the religious life of the people of Israel. And that's exactly what happens to David in the second half of 1 Samuel. David, uh, Saul is pursuing his life. Saul is the unrighteous king. David goes out into the wilderness and uh, he is being tested. He is being tried. His faith is put to the test. But in, in, in every way, he shows that he is a righteous king. He's different than Saul. He, he is the one who obeys the law of God. He is righteous, unlike Saul, who is a, a wicked sinner. David shows a level of human righteousness that really is not seen in any other person at that time. But in, in the time in the wilderness, he is longing for something. And what he is longing for is to be uh, in the presence of the people of God, worshiping God. Corporate worship is what uh, he is longing for. He says, where can I go and meet with God? He, looking back and remembering that I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. This is where God meets with his people. And uh, this is really central to, to the, the worldview of David, the worldview of uh, the Israelites of the Old Testament, that God comes down to us, that he descends from heaven and meets with his people. And that is part of, really, the, the, the central part of their life in the promised land. David desires this so much that he describes it as like a deer uh, thirsting for streams of water. It is like, it is like a hunger. It is like uh, perhaps even wanting the next, your next breath when you don't know where that next breath is going to come from. This is how much David longs to be in the presence of God because it is something that, is, uh, that ministers to him for the health of his soul. You look at the world around us and what do you see? You see people looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in all of the wrong places. Some people think it's found in riches or pleasure, entertainment, virtual reality or the lives that can be created Online, Some people obsess about fame. Some people obsess about reputation. Some people obsess about big houses and nice cars. We could go on and on and on. But David knew only the creator, only the one who made you. Only he can tell you what it is that will satisfy you. It's like that prayer that we pray before, most of the time before our evening service. You have made us for yourself. Our hearts will not find rest until they find their rest in you. Because God is the object. 
He is the object for which we long. Only he can tell us what will fill us, and he reveals to us that he is the one who will fill us and who will satisfy us. So uh, at the foundation of the heart of these psalms is that you were made to be joyful in the presence of God. You were created for fellowship with him. You were created for communion with him. The end of Psalm 16. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In Psalm 16, we considered that a couple months ago. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Eternal pleasures at your right hand. You were made. You were made for fellowship with God. You were made to be with him. You were made to be filled with joy in his presence. Secondly, the hope of returning to God shapes our lives in the present. The hope of returning to God or, or being in the presence of God shapes our lives in the present. David begins to address his soul. He has this conversation, this dialogue with his soul. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. This is where biblical Christianity uh, uh, the, the, the ideas, the mind of the Bible goes against anything else. Pagan religion, materialism, atheism, agnosticism, any other answer this world can give you. The Bible is different. Why? Because eventually God comes into the conversation. Because God is interested in our lives. Because God is involved in and with our lives. There was uh, an ancient religious text from an Egyptian religion where, where a man is, is caught up in this same kind of dialogue. He's disputing with his soul. And he doesn't, he's not finding really the hope to go on. He, the, the question before him is, is life really worth living? Should I go on? And, and as there's this dispute with his soul, uh, There's never really another party that enters the conversation and there is no real answer that is afforded to him that is reliable and uh, believable and trustworthy as to why he should go on. Egyptian religion was, generally speaking, a very happy religion. It existed on the sunrise side of the mountain, you might say. But again, even those people groups throughout history that tried to be happy and cheerful all of the time... There is despair in this world that everyone must face at some, t- at some point in their life. But for those who believe God's word, there is a difference. There is a hope that is given to us by a God who is mighty. A God whose power and wisdom and authority and goodness go beyond ours. What is it when you feel despair? What, what, what is one of the worst parts about feeling despair? It's that you feel helpless. Is that not only do you feel that this is, this is unbearable, but that there's nothing you can do in and of yourselves to get out of it. But the God of Scripture is one whose power and wisdom, authority and goodness go beyond ours. He is majestic. He is mighty in ways that we can only glimpse. Any other worldview, any other answer to the questions of life cannot afford you the comfort and the hope that biblical Christianity Gives us, and that is a hope that is in the future. Hope in God, the psalmist says, for I shall yet praise him. Have hope now, for in the future something better will come. Have hope now, because in the future you will see God again. He will bring you to himself. The future is where our hope lies as Christians. 
The church of Jesus Christ only makes sense in light of what is to come. What we do is foolishness in the eyes of the world. We come here week after week. We open up uh, an ancient book. We, we listen to somebody unlock truths from it. And we live by it. We shape and we order our lives by it. We really do trust in these words. We take time to pass around tiny elements of bread and wine. We join our hearts together in extended prayer for the sick and afflicted, many of whom do not experience earthly healing, and yet we still praise God. And we thank Him for all that He has done. And we even rejoice when someone's earthly life ends. For if they die in the Lord, they go home to an earthly bliss. All of what we do only makes sense in light of the future. If you take stock of everything now, The church ultimately does not make sense. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with uh, being the people of God and taking great joy and comfort that the church will only uh, make sense in light of what is to come, in light of the future. There's a strong instinct in, in many of our hearts and many people in the church today who want to have... I guess you would say a place at the table, a seat at the table, that the church would make sense in the complex of this world now. But our mission, our mission must shape our practice, and our mission is to go throughout the world training people, discipling people, uh, that they would understand the message of being reconciled to God and having eternal life and hope beyond the grave. See, it only makes sense in light of what is to come. And so the psalmist here wrestles with all of these things because it seems as though God has forgotten him. But that is where the shift of the conversation happens. The shift of the conversation happens in Psalm 43 because all of a sudden he turns to God and he prays to God. That is where his comfort comes, that God hears his prayer. God hears your prayer. In the midst of your despair, take comfort that God hears your prayer. Our conversations don't remain as something where we're turned inward on ourselves, but we have a loving father who cares for his children. Children of God who are filled with despair, it's like a, a young child who is, who is sick. If any of you have ever cared for a very young child who can't care for themselves and they are sick, be it a, a fever or something else, and as, as a parent, your, your heart is so longing to take away that despair. Your heart is so longing and identifying, empathizing with the child. That is what the Father, our Heavenly Father, thinks of us when we are sick with despair. Even when we stumble around in sinful ways, He longs for us to be restored. That's how much He loves us. So rather than turning inward, we learn from Scripture that we are to turn outward and fix our gaze on the Lord. God gives us hope, and hope in the future shapes our lives in the present, whether it be anything. A loved one shockingly is taken from you, a family member suffers under sickness or affliction, mental or emotional sickness takes its daily toll, family members or close friends walk away from the Lord and live without care in the midst of sin, the news of current events freaks you out, you can't relax, you don't know what's going to come next. In all of these things, 
God has given us his promises. He's given us the community of God's people. Remember the psalmist says uh, he longs to be in the midst of the people of God, worshiping him and praising him because God has given us this community as an instrument through which we might be comforted. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I thank the Lord that we are a church, a community that already shows forth these truths, that uh, we comfort one another with the comfort we have received from God and from Christ. Our lives in the present are shaped by our hope in the future. Lastly, God brings us, God brings us into his presence. Christ brings us into the presence of God to dwell with him in eternal joy. This last point, it ties it all together, our hope that goes beyond, our hope that is in uh, the future. If we are made to be joyful in the presence of God, and if our hope is anchored in the future so that our present is shaped by that hope, then we need to be reminded that God will bring us to himself. Psalm 43, 3, send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. Send your light and your truth. How do we know what God has promised us for the future? How do we know that that is true? How do we know that he will fulfill all of those promises? How will we know that God will bring us to his altar to be engaged in eternal worship of him? We know it because of Christ. Christ is the guarantee that God has given to us to show us that all of his promises will be fulfilled. We know it because of what we have heard this morning, because Jesus stood alone in the heavenly tabernacle of God, because he is our great high priest who continually intercedes for us. We know it because Jesus is the one who fulfills these psalms. He's not only the speaker of these psalms ultimately, but he fulfills them. We see in how many ways they point forward to him. Send forth your light. God, send forth your light. Jesus came as light from the Father to pierce the darkness. Send forth your truth. Jesus came as the way and the truth and the life. Let them bring me to your holy mountain. Jesus ascended the mountain of the Lord went into the Holy of Holies, and we are found in him. Christ is the speaker of these psalms. In a way, he is prefigured, uh, prefigured here in these very words. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That prefigures Christ because he left heaven's glory. He knew what it was like to be in the presence of God. So he, he longed to be back with his father in the glories of heaven. He went into the wilderness of this world to be tested and tried. Just as David wandered through the wilderness and longed for God's presence. In an even greater sense, Jesus could look back on the perfect fellowship he had with his father. And that could shape his hope. While he was in the wilderness. I say to God my rock. Psalm 42. 
Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Jesus suffered mortal agony while being taunted by his enemies. The only one who has ever suffered perfectly righteously without any reason why he should suffer. Perfectly sinless and righteous. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. God knows that there is despair. He knows that there is suffering and death and moments where we feel completely empty and lost, where we say, what is the point of all this? But as God's people, we have hope. We have hope, and our hope is the anchor for the soul, Jesus Christ, who dwells in heaven now, who is at the right hand of the Father. Christ has ascended. Our anchor, in a sense, goes up. Our anchor goes up. He promises us a future with himself to all those who trust in his finished work. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. For the joy set before us, let us, let us endure in a way that confounds the powers of this age, the rulers of this age. Let us hope in the one who brings us to our everlasting joy. In the presence of our Creator. In your presence there is fullness of joy, eternal pleasures at your right hand. When we partake of the Lord's table, we proclaim his death until he comes again. We are saying to each other, we are saying to the world, that we have hope in the future. If you want to understand hope in the midst of despair, look to Christ, the Son of God, slain. For us, the living Son of God became dust so that those who are dust might become living sons of God. Let's pray. Father, as we remember your work and look to you to minister to us now in these moments, might you reign in our hearts, might your truth reign, might you be glorified in our midst. Bless us now as we go to the table in Christ's name. Amen. If you would go in your blue hymnals to our form.